I'm excited by that. I actually, I thought I was the only nerd. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, uh, I guess uh, we're podcasting or something. We should introduce Mr. Daniel J. Hogan. Yeah, we should. He's a, <laughs> what a Dan is a writer and cartoonist, the author of the Magic of Airy novel. I said that correctly. Yes, you did. Because I have heard the podcasts that accompany it. Uh, God bless you. Nice. And uh, he also was part of the Ginger and the Geek podcast, and currently the cartoonist at Clatterton.com. Yep. Sound about right? Uh, Clattertron, like Megatron, or as I tell Clattertron. people. Clattertron, yeah. Clatter like the noise and Tron like the movie Tron, but not like Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, interesting. It's an important distinction to make. Yes. It is. And um, I totally thought that's what it was called, in, in fact. And then I was at, uh, I think, your website, danieljhogan.com. Um, and I think there may be a spelling error or my brain. I didn't have my glasses on. That's possible. There's spelling errors on my site. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> When you first said Clatterton, I was like, Clatterton? Did I, did I, did my brain insert an R somewhere? I'm pretty sure I'm getting that right. So. Yeah, I thought the Tron part was cool. And then I think it's, yeah, it's your, uh, now that I back, um, it's your buttons on the bottom of your homepage, Dan, that take you to like Ginger and the Geek and all the other places. Well, I know what I'm fixing later tonight <laughs> sorry i announced it to our entire listening no that's audience. good that's by the that's, time you get there audience it will it will all be in the past yes good Ooh, alternate histories i love it mm-hmm. yeah there you go <laughs> it will never have happened actually that's the way i like it whoa who has a choo-choo uh that would be me nice Sweet. the uh yeah, uh, we live right by some train tracks downtown. I'm so used to it that I don't even notice it anymore. But our our new cat is uh, getting used to it. He's not used to it at all, so uh, he hides under the bed so far. But our old cat is is accustomed to the noise, so he ignores it completely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. I had... Um well, I had two similar houses, um, both growing up and then later on in college where, um, the, my house growing up was less than a block from the, from the tracks. And so, um, you just kind of knew what time it is by, you know, which trains were going by. And then, um, I had a, I had a house with some roommates in college, uh, that was like literally a stone's throw from the railroad tracks, like the, the railroad it was almost like what I imagine living next to the L train in Chicago would be like, um, where the the train would go by and the house would rattle. You were you were pretty much that close to the to the tracks. It was pretty it's sweet. not it's not that bad. We're we're pretty close. I mean, you can see it from uh, from our our window, sort of. But um, it's not that bad. But it's it's pretty it's pretty loud. It took a while for me to get used to it, but. Uh, right now, it's it's like the joke in Blues Brothers. It goes by so often you won't even notice. <laughs> yeah, nice. here uh, here in Edmonton, there's uh, condos going up everywhere. People here like to pay for things and not rent things. And so uh, <laughs> there's some condos going up in this sort of trendy shopping district. 
Wow. That's way better than my sound effects from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I can hear. I can actually hear the train as opposed if to the I sound probably effects, wasn't so. using my laptop mic, uh, I'd probably cut that down a bit. But you probably won't hear it so much on my Zoom. So. Yeah, I imagine. It's and then so the, the audience will be like, what is wrong with these guys? <laughs> and then I'll have to find some... Uh, Actually, like we were talking about in, back in episode one, Chris, I'll have to do some uh, foley. bad foley. I'll just, you know, choo, choo, <laughs> and then I'll just cut that in. And then steam. <laughs> right. Steam. Zipper. <laughs> All right. Yeah, as I was saying, they just built some condos, like, right next to the road tracks, like, ridiculously close, like, in the Blues Brothers. And I'm just like, who's going to buy that? Not that we use a lot of trains in the world anymore, but I think that track is still active considering that I'm in Canada, so they're like 30 years behind any technology that you would otherwise use. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> it's not that bad, is it? How we, else are you going to move all that maple syrup, Chris? That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. It's all oil. Oil, oil. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It's not too bad. I mean, we might get the iPhone 3S next week, so. <laughs> I can't wait for Tupperware this. Tupperware mo- the week after that. Yeah. Can't wait for this Motorola Razor flip phone people are talking about. I had one of those. It was great for, like, you know, a week. That started acting <laughs> up all kind of weird. It's something to do with uh, I. Uh, it fell out of my pocket in a taxi cab in Washington D.C. and a guy mailed it back to me. Bless his heart. But for some reason, like the keypad felt like there was something under it. Ever since ever since I got it back from the guy, and the paranoid person in me kept thinking like there was some sort of like tracking device or bug <laughs> inserted under the keypad. But nice, whatever. Uh, every time I press the seven key, the police show up. This is weird. Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I did forget to mention also that, uh, Dan, you've uh, done uh, at least two or three uh, comedy nights, right? Uh, yeah, two. Is it two or is it three now? I can't remember. It's, a, it's three. You're right. You're right. Sweet. And I have a fourth coming up in December here in Lansing. Uh, called the it's called the Church of Comedy, but it's nothing even remotely religious at all. <laughs> it's uh, they, you'll my, laugh so hard it's a religious experience. Exactly, um, my buddy Malik who runs it he does it on Sundays, so that's hence the name. It's uh, it's a good time. Looking forward to it. Excellent. So uh, yeah, I think uh, a couple weeks ago I was talking about how I saw. Um, Jamie Kennedy's like cry for like please love me um his movie called Heckler <laughs> oh yeah 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 I think that's on Netflix How it is, is it is it's really bad so yeah I was hoping like I told uh, Paul uh I was hoping it'd be this like really awesome thing where like comedians totally destroy hecklers but instead it's like Jamie Kennedy pleading for people to love him and not heckle him at all <laughs> so I've been fortunate that has not happened to me yet, but also the uh, comedy nights I've done have been pretty much um, a couple steps above open mic nights. So it's not like me being hired by a comedy club to go open for someone. So it's they're friendlier audiences, Excellent. So, uh, which is good because it helps to get your confidence up and, and whatnot. But 
uh, there's still something I'm not looking forward to if or when it ever happens. <laughs> yeah, I bet uh, that would be um, uh, not very fun. No. But uh, it's just one of those things where if that happens, you pretty much just got to roll with it. And if you can make it part of your bit, you know, if you don't lose your cool, then you'll probably be okay. If you start losing your cool, then it just all goes downhill from there. So, Yes, the audience can smell fear. Yeah, that's something I, I uh, noticed from the shows I've been attending, like the ones I'm in and the ones I just go to to check out. Like some of the other fellow up-and-coming guys, they'll... I don't know why I do this, but they preface their act with saying, oh, I've only been doing this for like six months or a year, and or, or right. just, here's a yeah. new joke. And I'm like, why would you say that? Because you're already kind of uh, influencing what people are going to think of you. So, like, if you don't say anything, no one's going to know you've been doing it for five months or five years. But if you say, oh, I've only been doing this for five months, someone's going to be like, oh, God, this is going to suck, you know? So, uh, leave something in the imagination, I guess, is, is the lesson. Oh, okay. For a second there, I thought maybe I should like go on stage and say, so after being named Time's Man of the Year for four years in a row, I decided to try comedy. <laughs> no, that's good. That's a good opening. I like that. <laughs> nice. So, yes. Have either of you um, read or listened? Actually, I recommend uh, the audiobook version of this. Um, Steve Martin's uh, Born Standing Up. Uh, no to both, but it's uh, on the list, as they like to say. So, yeah, he um, he does, does he his it? own read. Yeah, he does okay. his own read of the of it, which is why I recommend the the audiobook version because he goes back through and he kind of he doesn't really go through a lot of like his material or anything like that. It's more like uh, here are the phases that I went through. Here are some of the ways that I tried to experiment while I was on stage. This is kind of the experience of of learning to deal with hecklers and um, here are the things that worked for me. Here were the things that didn't work for me at all on stage, which, but then I, I later took and kind of integrated that into the film stuff that I did and it turned into the best stuff. Um, but it's a, it's a good, um, it's a good read slash listen. I would recommend it. That's good. Yeah. I'll check that out. That reminds me of, you know, stuff I read and stuff I kind of believe too is like, you know, don't throw anything out. An idea may not work for one thing, but may be great for something else. You just, you like, you never know. And oh. I'm sure, I, I mean, I haven't done any, um, done any stand up of my own or, or in front of an audience of my own, but uh, I imagine that it, it can be entirely dependent on the audience too. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, um, like I said, I've been fortunate to, kind of cut my teeth on friendly audiences who are in most cases had a lot of my own friends and my wife and stuff there and family and whatnot but um having a receptive audience makes all the difference in the world if they're just not laughing at anything or there's no energy in the room it, it makes it difficult to kind of perform oh yeah right. for sure um i did <laughs> way too much theater uh my first run at college <laughs> um and uh yeah it's i mean sundays we called like the blue hair day right it's all the people who have like the season tickets and so they're all right. over 70 the blue hairs and so 
the, the energy for the shows were completely different on the weekends. And then because it's a college performance, uh, Sundays were filled with old ladies and then the people who had to go there because they had to write a paper. So That's uh, never good. No. And here, here I am in theater classes because, hey, I'm doing theater. And so when my professor says... Uh, we need you to do a paper. I'm like, oh, how can I do that? I'm in the show, ha ha, thinking I'm getting out of a paper. <laughs> and my uh, professor says, why don't you write a paper comparing the different audiences? And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, the acting that I did do, um, I enjoyed it uh, in my youth, and uh, people keep asking me why I don't do more of it. And sometimes I, I think I've watched so many films and worked in some stuff where I think like I might be better at doing the sort of, or for me personally, I'm interested more into film acting where you get to do the subtle things that mean so much more. Because when you're on stage, right. you have to do these gregarious gestures just to get to people, you know, in the back row to see, oh, he's obviously upset. That's why he's slapped the back of his hand to his forehead, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I've always thought, you know, I'd like to try more like video and film stuff than uh, get back to the stage. But then the one thing that the stage has is the audience. Like the few times I've acted like in, uh, student films and stuff back in the college days it's really difficult because you can play off of the audience and you don't have that on a film right like the the grips are just like can i please go home they're not like wow that was hilarious (laughs) so it's definitely audience's key well and the thing too with theater and and stand-up like once you do it you do it that's it it's not like with film where you'll do the same thing like 10 times you know and there's that's definitely a big difference because uh you know when you're on stage and you're just doing stand-up and you're just going through your bit you know what you say is what you say you can't there's no redos although i have witnessed some people try to say oh let me do try that again which you don't want to do like even if you screw up just go don't (laughs) fess up you know don't fess up to it just keep going you know again the audience isn't really going to know and uh if you can recover and just keep moving, that's better than apologizing and trying again because that'll be usually pretty worse. <laughs> nice. Yes. So that was a very uh, a very somber t- talk about comedy. Good for us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well done. I want to talk about the process and, you know... <laughs> How do you, we get all nerdist on this, like, how do you figure out, where does the joke come from? Right. <laughs> right. What and really like, makes comedy tick and yeah. funny? And I'll just be like, I don't know, it just pops in my head and I say it. You know, there's no, like, real, uh, I mean, to me, the method or whatever you want to call it or the process is just getting used to delivering the lines and being in front of people yeah a lot of it i just you know i'll write down a loose outline i mean well that's not true i'll write out essentially it's like a blog post of what everything i want to say and sometimes in different sections and whatnot so i can kind of get the flow down and then uh the last time what i did was I didn't print out the whole thing like I had done the previous times. Instead, I just um, did, like, headers for the sections and had bullet points of, like, you know, just reminder words, you know, of what 
the next thing is supposed to be about and then just kind of that way it's more natural because you're not trying to memorize every single word yeah yeah you're you're having a one-sided conversation in a sense and right. and if there's some amount of like thinking out loud with the right mm-hmm. kind of timing it seems like that's going to work well right exactly uh, i've discussed this uh with paul on on the show before but uh as i've gotten older um evernote has become my brain and so (laughs) i have it on all my devices and if i just think of something like whether it's funny for my blog or oh i need to do this next week i just throw it in a note really quick and so like you when it comes to maybe writing some blogs that i hope are humorous or whatever uh i will often just because i'm you know on, on, in a in a bus or something, I just need to get these notes down. So I will just do headers and bullet points, and so then I'll open up Evernote and forget about it. And like three weeks later, I'll look at my notes and go, "Why did I write ping pong?" <laughs> you know. So yeah, I got to keep on top of this whole uh, note taking thing. But yeah, it's I, I do the same thing when I'm uh, when I when I was teaching before, and uh, yeah, I just stuck to like topics and bullet points and it seemed to work and, and it's always fun when you do get to a bullet point that you haven't looked at in a while and you're like yeah like, i don't know I, what that I, means yeah i um it's like that seinfeld episode where he woke up middle of the night and wrote something down he spent the whole episode trying to figure out what it meant and it ended up being a terrible <laughs> joke uh, i carry around uh small spiral notebooks uh, i used to carry moleskins now i i don't only because i like um they're not very conducive for sketching because I like having the rings so I can flip the pages around and hold it easier for drawing. So I carry these other, these little field sketch books around. They're like uh, four by six in size. And I can write, I can sketch, I can do whatever. But I mean, I'll just write stuff down. Like I just picked up one now. I have a note, mom playing Candy Crush, uh, seven more levels she said and then four more levels we were gonna go somewhere i was visiting and it's it's just kind of like how the tables have turned you know when i was <laughs> younger it was me playing the video games and she wanted to go somewhere and now i'm in my 30s and she's in her you know pushing 60 and uh she's the one playing candy crush on her ipad or snoopy street fair and i'm the one who wants to go somewhere i have to wait for her <laughs> that's hilarious yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty funny. I used to actually do the same thing. I used to carry around uh, little spiral notebooks myself, and uh, I think at some point uh, I got too busy to even access my creative brain uh, with work and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, when I stopped, I forgot all about the notebooks, and I and I actually um, bought like one of those. Hey, it's a Mac bundle and da da da, and you can save lots of money. And so um, it included Evernote like last year. So I, I bought it, and then like my brain's like, you spent money on this, you have to use it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's always good. Um, but hey, I, I have Evernote on my uh, Android phone, and uh, it is very handy for that too, because there's sometimes I don't have my notebook with me or or whatever, and it's better than nothing, you know? Yeah, you just you make me want to get back to notebooks though, because the last couple times I've made like a grocery list or something, I can't even read my own writing. So I need to write more again. Yeah, that's. I will say, although the casual observer may not think this by looking at my comics, actually hand lettering my comics has improved my handwriting a bit because um, I have to do it slower. It's not like writing really fast. So 
I have uh, gotten better at handwriting a little bit. If, again, if I take the time to slow down and when I'm handwriting, it definitely looks better. But if I'm still scribbling fast, it's still, still a little better than it used to be. But uh, you, you made me yeah. think of uh, Mitch Hedberg, who I love. Uh, I remember one of his jokes was always like uh, something about how I'm a comedian. And uh, so sometimes at night I lay awake when I think of a joke. But uh, I have to convince myself that it's not funny, so I don't have to get up and get the pencil and paper. Yeah, <laughs> and there, there are times I have kept a uh, notepad by my bed, uh, mainly just to write down weird dreams I have. Because you never, you could have like one thing in a dream or one thought, and you could just branch off from there. I mean, really, you know, it could be one concept or loose idea that could spawn a book or a routine or a, you know. A, more often, in my case, a gag for a comic strip. It's just you never know. I've definitely started doing that uh, more and more recently is uh, keeping like, you know, a dream journal next to my bed. And uh, and just what I will say is um, so I have I have two little girls now and the ensuing lack of sleep um, that results from that means that when you do sleep and you sleep really well, you get just um, these crazy dreams because your brain's like, I'm just going to pack them all in right now because I don't know the yep. next time you're going to get some good sleep. And uh, and so I've been just writing like pages and pages of stuff that happened in my dreams that are that are just bizarre, like lots and lots of traveling, lots and lots of like I'm in a car and I can't quite get to the place I'm trying to go or things like that. And it's uh, it's it's crazy. It. it sparks a lot of the creative stuff just to write just to write that down and then come back to it later when you you know are conscious um and then try to read your handwriting when you weren't conscious uh, is fun yeah because definitely because like i said you know you could have you could have a page that's mostly gibberish but you could have like one sentence that'll be like oh that's a great idea for you know whatever and um you never know where something can go once you start thinking about it and uh maybe interpreting it differently or that sort of thing so it's it's definitely a good idea to write stuff down i have these other things called um uh rory story cubes they're like uh they're just dice with pictures on them and the it's a game essentially you roll them and you're supposed to tell a story using like the icons on the dice as like prompts um and sometimes i use them just to get inspired for just to get ideas and you know because once you get started that's the hard part and then you can always yeah. tweak stuff and fine-tune things later oh so. yeah i um i had a writing course and uh i remember the one thing that i took away from that that i really enjoyed was like free writing because uh i'm a big editor so you know i might rewrite a paragraph like 20 times and then i've forgotten the rest of the plot of my story you know right. so so to now just like free write and let it out of me and then go back and redo it um it works a lot better i do that with my uh walking dead uh mocking kind of thing i just like let it right. go as i watch and then i cut jokes or add jokes and whatnot later it works really well for me and i just need to get in the habit of doing it more because then all of a sudden i find myself editing and i'm like ah yeah, that's what I try to do because I think what helps is I compose all my blog posts offline in OpenOffice and um, 
so that way, um, A, I don't have to be on Wi-Fi or anything to type it up. And then also I have a backup copy. And then that way I'm just focused on the writing and it's easier to edit and that sort of thing. And I can just let it all, you know, go however I want. And then I can go back and edit it later. And, um, that helps me a lot for blog posts and, uh, that sort of stuff. And then, um, the hell was I going to say? Also, what's the swearing level on this? Just in case. Uh, you can say whatever you like. I think I usually mark, I'm trying to remember if I usually mark them explicit or not, but if I, in editing, if I run I'm not going to purposely say anything I, bad, no, but just fine. in case something might fly out. It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, <laughs> So along those same lines as free writing, that's why National Novel Writing Month, which is going on right now, is it's good for a lot of people. It's not good for everyone because everyone's different. But uh, when it comes to writing, but it's good in the sense that it, from my own experience, it taught me just to sit down and write every day and not worry about does this make sense? This is is this grammatically correct? Where is this going? You know, and it's like what Chris said with free writing. That's pretty much what it was. It was a month of free writing every day, you know, two thousand words a day, and then just getting used to that and not worrying about making it perfect the first time. Like I'm finishing a book now. I'm on my fifth edit of it, and uh, then I'm gonna start sending it out to agents. But it's just you know, um, sometimes you just gotta go and fix stuff, but you gotta get it done first and then realize what works and what doesn't you could it's like i tell people when i'm asked to talk about writing and stuff a finished book that needs a lot of work is better than the most perfectly written paragraph you know because you just need to have something finished that you can you know work from yeah that makes sense definitely agree with that i i would say my my typical writing um is is to do that first i'm not much i'm not very much of an outliner unless i have um like if i'm writing something really big or long i may have to do an outline just to make sure that i get to the other components the other ideas but usually if i'm writing something like a blog post or maybe a medium length piece like something between a thousand and five thousand words it's usually just like just keep typing spit it all out get it down get it down get through it and then after that i usually end up moving entire paragraphs around like moving sentences within the paragraphs and then just cutting and cutting and cutting stuff until i get to a point where it's like okay i don't have any extra words and uh i'm i feel like i'm getting my point across that's that tends to be where i start i can't like I try to use one of those, um, and I'm not super into these necessarily, but I use one of those like minimalist. I think I use um, IA Writer, and I just put it in like full screen mode so that there's no tools, there's no like bold or italic or anything like that. It's just like put put text on the screen until I feel like I'm at a point where it's done and I've hit some kind of a conclusion, and then go back and figure out. It's almost like documentary filmmaking where it's like I'm just going to go around and capture lots and lots of interviews and capture lots of ideas and then I'll go back and figure out what the narrative was after that. Uh, it's it's so true. I've done that too where like I'll just I'll go off on a rant about privacy or, or something like that and then the next thing I know I look down and I've written about, you know, being anonymous instead. <laughs> so <laughs> like my whole subject changes or I've got like five subjects and I'm like, "Whoa, we need to taper this down to like one. This isn't uh 
isn't focused enough but yeah yeah with blog posts i tend to like i'll have the idea in my head or you know i'll at least know what i'm doing and i may have some notes here and there but i don't typically outline those because i try to keep those relatively short around 500 words but um because people skim you know when it comes to online writing that sort of thing but i will occasionally do longer stuff but with like my novel things um those are outlined to some extent uh a tip that i picked up in a in an interview with uh, michael moorcock he's a fantasy writer he did the elric series um he at one point was he would like crank out pretty much like a novel a week or something when he was just trying to pay the bills and one of the tips he had was he would before he started he would make up lists of things so like um say it's a fantasy he would make up lists of things he wanted in that world so like the words like leather saddle you know horns that sort of thing and then he would just kind of make sure to use those keywords and um when he was thinking of like stuff like magical artifacts, he would just kind of look around the room. If there was a mirror in his room, he'd be like, okay, the mirror of lost souls was what they were looking for, that sort of thing. And then, you know, later on you go back and you fix it, but you at least got that, uh, first draft done. And, uh, so I do some, I do some planning, but I also kind of let the story go where I wanted to at the spur of the moment. So, uh, yeah, what's the latest book called that you're working on? It's called, for the moment, just because I don't like spending time worrying about titles, it's called (laughs) Riddle of the White Gun, and it's uh, sort of a spaghetti western fantasy steampunk humor adventure. Uh, Or as I like to say, it's kind of like Lethal Weapon with uh, gunfighters and vampires. Nice. Yeah. What was that... uh What's that show with uh, Bruce Campbell that was out in the 90s? Which Briscoe was- County. Yeah, there's Thank some you. of that in there. Yeah, it's kind of has that tongue-in-cheek stuff. Like, it definitely draws on tropes of uh, spaghetti westerns, and I make fun of it and lampshade some of it, too. And the, But that's kind of the whole idea. It's just to have fun and uh, be kind of a more fast-paced adventure story. Like, as a comparison, Magic of Area was like 100, almost 150,000 words. This one is like... 80 something thousand words so much shorter and faster and um what i've read when agents are looking for uh unknown or they're queried by unknown authors uh the shorter your book as long as it's like novel length the better so hmm. and i like short books too i mean i like fun adventure stories that are you know especially if they're funny which is my goal with this one it's you know try to throw some humor in there and do like buddy cop kind of stuff here and there too in a fantasy setting <laughs> so uh yeah as an author have you ever uh seen the uh since you're looking for an agent soon the slush pie hell uh tumbler um he's like I, he's like a i lim- know what it is yeah i know what it is. i mean i see I've come across that kind of stuff like a bunch of times. It's hard to remember where I saw it, but I know where it's like just the, the, the crap people send in and they're like, I can't believe someone thought this would sell that sort of thing. I remember I had, I bought like one of those, um, writer's market books. It was either there or like on some websites. I can't remember where regardless, uh, this one place they had the list, 
I always like looking at the list of stuff people don't want because usually they're pretty hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how often I saw we don't want books or stories based on your D&D campaign. <laughs> and um, another one was we don't want stories about essentially it's like men who are tricked into gay relationships by shapeshifters or something <laughs> that that kind of stuff you know so crying game kind of stuff but like a fantasy setting sort of thing and like so if it's at the point where they have to say we don't want this it means they're getting a ton of that sort of thing so wow it's just, amuses yeah. me to no end yeah, the uh, that slash by hell Tumblr. I can't remember when I started following them, but he he just he seems like he's an agent, and he just uh, posts like a paragraph or something that someone sent in to sell their stuff, and then he reacts to it. Uh, I think the one I saw most recently was like uh, someone who said they they've been writing short stories like since they were nineteen, and they were like still in their twenties, <laughs> and they're like it's it's time to go pro. <laughs> And so then they're like, I have a collection of short stories for children, and um, I've also written uh, an adult book of erotic stories. And this guy was like, <laughs> wow, finally an author who gets it. <laughs> He's like someone who can publish children's books and write erotica. He's like, wow, I have a gold mine of an idea for Fifty Shades of Grey coloring book. Oh, God. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I've... Um participate in some uh writing workshop things over the years at conventions as like a judge or not judge not the right word but like a i don't know a leader sort of thing or that's not even the right term anyway um and yeah i've read i've read some really great stuff to be honest but i've read some really interesting stuff too and uh it's probably the reason i don't like being in writing groups <laughs> for with some, with in general, I mean, I have some friends I w- definitely would not mind being in writing groups with, but like with people I don't know, I just like I don't want to listen to your story. I'm sorry. This well, is me because I'm a. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's tough too because then sometimes you can't get those ideas out of your head when you're trying to write your own stuff, right? So, right, like, uh, I'll, I'll I'll try and tame this down a bit but there was one story (laughs) where the the first like two sentences this is written by um a middle-aged woman which is this is fine but it's a sci-fi story but the first like sentence is like two guys having sex and then like the second paragraph is something about the end of the world or whatever and i'm like uh okay i mean I mean, it doesn't bother me, but I'm just thinking, like, you kind of want to lead up to that. You don't just want to open up with two guys going at it, but whatever. It's just just kind of funny. Let's start with the apocalypse instead. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun experience going to conventions. I don't know if you guys ever get to fandom conventions at all. I have not. I've uh, often thought it might be kind of fun to go. It's yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I have been um, considering going to something along the lines of Comic Con um, for a while, and uh, haven't made my way to do it yet. I haven't gone to like any of the super big ones, like Dragon Con or anything like that. But I've gone to um, the old, like the Wizard World conventions in Chicago a few times, and. Um, 
but I've also gone. I've also been a guest at smaller Michigan-based fandom conventions, which are more literature—not literature, but more, excuse me, writing-based and that sort of thing. And um, that's where the difference with that is like you're everything is in one hotel, and you just go to the different hotel rooms and yep. you're on panels and that sort of thing. And it's it's an interesting experience. I mean. I definitely enjoy it, just if only for the people watching interaction. But it's also it's a good ego boost too, because people like I've had people say, "Oh, I bought your you know, your book, and can you sign it for me?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." You know, when you're self published yeah, yeah. like I am, that's pretty neat. Because I mean, the the upside is to that there is there are several like you know really dedicated communities out there fan communities like so like the fantasy communities sci-fi communities like they're they're super into whatever and a lot of them are very very open to taking a chance on new stuff just because it's new it's different it's not a sequel it's not a remake you know and um uh granted the cheaper it is the more likely to take a chance on it as i know from experience but still they're, they're also very supportive of independent creators like myself and that's always good that's why i like going to conventions and um even in being in uh, artist alleys and that sort of thing because there are a lot of people out there who they seek out the independent stuff because they're sick of mainstream stuff you know they don't you know as fun as like uh all the marvel movies are and all that sort of thing there's people who don't care about any of that kind of stuff you know i don't really read a lot of superhero comics anymore so i I go for more of the quirky, offbeat stuff sure. these days. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. Actually, in relation to uh, to books, I, I had the, an idea. See, so I have to be that guy now. I'll pitch it to you. Okay. No, no. But uh, really, uh, last uh, podcast <laughs> we were talking um, about a book that you've already reviewed. Uh, Red shirts. Um, we were going to read. Oh, it, yeah. read it and discuss it uh, on the show. By, but uh, by John Scalzi. Yeah, I yeah. was actually on a panel with John uh, a few years ago at PenguinCon. It was a humor and sci-fi and fantasy panel. He's a nice guy. Nice. Yeah. So I was yeah. I was talking about how uh, I had gotten the book and I could uh, I could give it to. Uh, <clears throat> to paul but then that might be wrong and uh, then i got into this whole uh how i used to be a pirate uh when i was young and had the time but now time is money and it just seems stupid to spend your right. whole afternoon looking for a serial number or downloading something so yeah now, now that we have That's... you on the show and paul who is a developer it's like it's, it's good to tell kids not to be like the young chris and you shouldn't pirate things but I will say that uh, earlier this year there was a game company that released one of these tycoon games, right? Like you got to be really good at your job, like Roller Coaster Tycoon, and you try to right. win. So their game, it was Game Dev Tycoon. And what they did on release day was release a different version to the Torrents. Interesting. And you could not win that version. <laughs> You could do right. everything possible. Like I, I don't. That's I didn't. Brilliant. I've never yeah. played the game, but I'm assuming you probably pick like the season, like to sell it, and then you'd say like I want to 
it's only on the Xbox platform or something. Sure, right. And so you could do as well as you could. And then, like, once you got, like, further in the game, it would say, sorry, you're going to have to shut down your company because you didn't have enough sales because of piracy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so they have some really sick, sick numbers. Like, uh, I remember seeing a pie chart. I'll find this webpage and put it in show notes. But, like, you know, they had this pie chart of, like, 4% of, you know, people like i don't know if they were talking about discussions in the forum or something had legally purchased the game and the rest of the people complaining were these pirates (laughs) so it was pretty crazy but then i was thinking about this while i was uh reading john's book and i was like wouldn't it be funny if like someone did the same thing with an ebook like you did this dan where you're like you wrote like you put the first 11 chapters in this book and then in the 12th chapter you did something insane like killed all the characters and ended the book (laughs) it would be especially awesome if it was like a serial of novels you know like five or six and you're in the sixth one and you just release that one to like all the download sites that'd be pretty funny that is pretty funny i like that idea because you have like this built-in audience that loves you enough, but not enough to pay for your book. So <laughs> then you just well, destroy I d- I all. I did the- have a cup. I did have an ebook sale uh, last this month, which was nice. Uh, the the I'll, I'll give you. I'll talk a little inside baseball if you don't mind here. So sure. If uh, if someone buys uh, the ebook version of Magic of Airy through Lulu dot com, that's L U L U dot com for those at home. I make uh, it lists for four ninety nine. I make three sixty ish off that i think if someone and also likewise if someone buys the um print version through lulu it i have it marked down for 18 something i think i still make like several dollars off that uh back when it was the full price of 24.99 which i didn't want to sell at at that price but i had to uh and that's another story but i would make like eight dollars off that sale so $8 $8 through Lulu. If someone bought that same exact book through Amazon, I'd make like 24 cents. Wow. Yeah. So, but it's one of those things where you can get more uh, exposure through Amazon. So it's it's just one of those things. Right. Like, well, what, right. You know, you kind of want to, you want to have that ease because there's people, that, if it's on Amazon, they'll buy it. They don't care. You know, it's just one of those things. But um, but if it's like through some other website, you know they won't bat an eye at something that's twenty four dollars on Amazon. But if it's twenty four dollars on some website they've never heard of, they're like, oh, I don't know. So it's just kind of weird. Um, what was I talking about before that? I forget. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, You're talking about uh, eBooks or something. Yeah, yeah. Which I liked that. That was a good idea. You said you had made Release- a sale. Yeah, I had made it. Thank you. I made an ebook sale uh, this month, so that was an extra three sixty that I uh, didn't expect, which is always <laughs> nice. So I need to do a Kindle version, but I just I got to sit down and spend a weekend figuring out how to do that. Right. So yeah. Would you potentially more than a weekend? Because from what I from what I have heard, getting the formats right for Kindle, like their Mobi format, can right. be can be tricky, especially if you have um, like illustrations or anything like that. If you if you're going to be picky about your formatting, then it gets it gets to be a pain in the ass. Like their um, 
their Kindle preview simulators don't work very well. So uh, ultimately man. you need to have like access to a Kindle or two so that you can at least make sure that it that it will actually appear okay on a device. I do. I have like the the basic bare bones black and white Kindle. And I love it. I do love uh, my Kindle and um I've probably read more books this past year because of it. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it definitely helped me get through the uh, Game of Thrones series because I, I can't stand lugging around phone book-sized yep. um, books. And um, it's just so much easier to read. And I have a little like uh, cover thing that doubles as a little like flip stand for it so I can set it up so I could like eat or whatever and, and still read at the same time because it's propped up, which is nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah, um, the last show I was talking about, uh, it probably won't help you much, but it'd be interesting to see how well it did. But I was talking about that uh, app, uh, Calibra. Calibre. And uh, that's an app to like load things onto your Kindle, but I was telling Paul they also do conversions. So it might not hurt just to throw in, like if you have a PDF of a book and see what it looks like. Yeah, you, know? you have to send me a link. I'll try that out. Yeah, no problem. But uh, yeah, it's... It's mainly meant probably on the consumer end. Like I was telling Paul, you can commit or co- commit. You can uh, convert uh, like an EPUB to a Mobi or something like that. So uh, I, it's probably not perfect. I had some issues with it, but might get you started. That's good. Yeah, you can get uh, when you download Magic of Aerie through Lulu. It's just a, it's a PDF, which you know for most people that's fine, but you can't do like the uh, text resizing and that sort of thing that some people like um but i mean again it's five dollars so it's it's one of those things i will say that um my app store experience uh from a pricing standpoint kind of mirrors yours and that um so i've got an app on the uh on the itunes app store the apple app store that uh i started it off at a dollar 99 and then i raised the price to 399 um and i actually put like in the you know in the text in the description of the app like i'm starting this at a dollar 99 and then i'm going to raise it to 399 in like two months or something like that so like early adopter special it's a brand new app you know you don't know what it is so you know and it doesn't have any kind of a reputation and uh I got almost all of my downloads in those first uh, in those first little bit, which some of that is it's a brand new thing, so you're going to get a bump from that, right? Um, and you have more likelihood of showing up on some of Apple's lists when it's brand new, or then when it's updated later. Um, but yeah, since then it's it's basically um, flatlined to zero, and part of that is um, it needs to be kept up to date a little bit more. Um, and some of that is it's a fairly niche audience that is targeted at. Um, but certainly I have the sense that um, that pricing, the pricing change makes a makes a huge difference because I did have kind of a baseline of like one to two sales of the app a week, which is fine for a completely unknown developer and uh, kind of a niche app. Um and then that goes down to like one to two sales a month based on it costing costing twice as much at that point. Well, the thing is like um, with – yeah, I mean and with uh, the ebooks for me, like it doesn't cost me anything to make them. 
It's right. just a file. And so I did bump it up to four ninety nine just for the hell of it to see if that made a difference. I might drop it back down to cheaper. Like I think I had it for like three dollars or something before. I maybe even make it cheaper now. Um just to see if that helps. And because, um, again, it, if I make a couple bucks off of it either way, that's still more than I make off of it on Amazon. Right. Sure. And uh, it's not costing – like I'm not printing copies and shipping them out. So there's no – you know, there's no uh, um, production costs on that side, right. which, I, right. you know, I can tell you plenty of stories about that. Like uh, printing off my – like Lulu is great if you want to do ebooks or if you want to – just worry about online sales, that sort of thing. But if you want to like have actual print copies that take the shows, it is not the way to go. At least it may be better now. Uh, but when I first started doing it, it was like the, my copies would cost me about $15 each. Mm. And I would, you know, even if I sold them for, I had to sell them for at least 20 bucks to kind of really make any money off them. And, uh, I didn't really like having that much of a, that high of a price point on them. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, just to, I ended up once I got an accountant to kind of help uh, help me with the, like my quote unquote business side of that stuff. He pretty much told me you can't really afford to do that anymore between like you know sales tax and et cetera. Right. And sure, you know you're better off just focusing on the online sales. So, so uh, with Lulu, like you said, you just sold one and you made like three something dollars, three sixty. <laughs> so. Uh, do you get that money, or do you need to have a certain amount of sales before they even cut you a check? Like, sort of. Uh, I think they. I think they send it through PayPal, and I think it's as long as it's five bucks or more. Got so actually, when that when that one got sold, I actually got money from another like ebook or something I sold like last year or something. So yeah, there is there is a bit of a threshold. That's the one snag. But I, again, I wasn't really. Um, I haven't been promoting the book that much as of late. So it's one of those things where if you kind of dump money in the advertising, you'll probably do better. Right. And yep. in all honesty, five bucks for a payout isn't that steep. I mean, hell, uh, Google ads, it's a hundred dollars. Right. And, um, uh, which I think I will finally cross that this month for the first time in about <laughs> a year and change. But, um, um, yeah, I figured Amazon is probably similar because I know, um, I think it was uh, iTunes. I remember reading like a pretty scathing blog post about someone who came up with some funny parody song and put it in iTunes because, you know, people want to download the song in iTunes. So, but it, it was something crazy like, okay, this is like an internet mem or some kind of parody song. And so people loved it. And so he had really, literally like, probably like i think a uh, hundred and hundred some odd thousand downloads in itunes but he still hadn't made enough money to get a check <laughs> yikes because of uh, wow because of the amount that they pay artists so i don't think that people really understand that you know like you just said you know right. google adwords you have to get so much people don't really get it they just think oh you're getting paid but you're really not using a lot of those services it's, like you yeah, said, you're getting exposure. So yeah, it's um, I so I run um, AdSense on on my websites, but I also advertise through 
Google AdWords. And I, I will say that Google Ads AdWords, uh, it does help. It does. Uh, and the, the good thing about AdWords is you can very, very specifically, you know, target your keywords and that sort of thing. And I've had pretty good luck with that, with getting traffic through those and lots of clicks. And, um, but again, it's pay per click. So my daily budget's like a dollar a day. So I'm only going to get so many clicks a day, but you know, for 30 something bucks a month, I'm still getting pretty good click throughs. And, and then ideally I get AdSense revenue off of that via page views and clicks on that but where i really make more money is through the uh, affiliate marketing stuff like through amazon and uh, commission junction um because i could make in a day what i make in a whole month through google adsense but you know it still helps to have the google ads there because um you know people click on stuff and uh, you can have a, i had a couple good days over the weekend actually so and I look at being, I guess, however you want to say it, someone in the know, um, whatever you want to call it. If I go to, like, I don't use Adblock software with a few exceptions. I, I will on, like, Facebook sometimes and, like, BuzzFeed <laughs> just because, you know, screw BuzzFeed. But um, <laughs> on, like, you know, other, like, independent people sites, like, I yeah don't use Adblock because I understand, you know, they're in the same boat as me. They're making money off those page views. And, you know, once in a while, I'll... I, I try to like click on something that I actually am interested in, but once in a while, if it's a site I go to every day, I'll click on an ad because you know I, I look at it as like it's like a tip jar sort of thing, and um, it may they may they may get like forty cents from the click, but that's better than nothing, you know. You're at least helping helping a brother out to use a old chestnut. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember uh, it was probably about five or six years ago, stumbling onto some sort of software someone had developed. And it wasn't even what I was looking for, but what kept me on his page was the fact that uh, he simply said, you know, I'm not going to get rich on this. You're probably not going to click the ads on the side. But if you do want to like donate because you like this software, I don't care what you donate. So just hit this button and give me enough money to buy a pint. So he called the software <laughs> pintware. Yeah, there like, you go. That's nice. I like it. You know, it, it. What was interesting to me was like he's just like just give me enough money to buy a beer, you know, or a coffee because I think people will do that. You know, it's kind of like you said, it's kind of like a tip jar. Yeah, I have um, I have a PayPal tip jar button thing on Clairtron and the uh, for those listening at home in the lower right. <laughs> sidebar and i made a custom button and i i have like the zelda heart meter and i say under it you know for pens coffee and cat food which is true because a lot of my you know extra income goes there not extra income but um disposable income whatever you want to call it and i mean i need pens to draw the comics i need coffee to keep me going and you know i gotta keep the cats fed and that sort of thing so i figure if you're honest about stuff and you have a sense of humor about it people are more likely to uh help you out or contribute and that sort of thing i think any anytime you can personalize something or make it look like you're a real person instead of just some i don't know uh, corporate website entertainment sort of thing i think that helps yeah actually we should uh you know 
discuss something more entertaining but paul brought something up as well like uh about the app prices that you know and the way that the app market works it's it'll be interesting i think we need to like you just mentioned uh react to each other interact with each other as individuals more on the web instead of uh like corporations because it seems like everyone has built uh these algorithms to study like sales and what's hot and what's popular so that you know paul's app was listed there for a while because it was new and now it's not even listed whether it's good app or not you know it's all about uh how many like ratings it has and how many comments right. it has and all these like different algorithms and so it's like you said like your app was there because it was new and now you have to unfortunately you have to do updates and in my opinion i i like it when something does one thing well <laughs> you know and so now yeah. you get all these updates where it's like well, yeah, um, I can't think of an app update right now in my brain because I rarely grab one. But uh, I remember when I had a PC and I was, like, burning CDs. You know, I was using Nero, and Nero was, like, this great CD burning program. And then it's like, hey, we did an update. Do you want to make CD covers? I'm like, no, I have Photoshop. And it was like, <laughs> hey, we did an update. Do you want to, like, it, it basically, like, I think the Nero app right now, like, you can do everything you want, and it, it's like freaking an os now it's like so ridiculous like <laughs> you have to keep updating and giving bring something new and then i just really think you should just do that one thing well but that's right. not going to support you in those kind of markets unfortunately because it's all about um the ratings system you know yeah right only only emacs can do more than uh than nero burning rom at this point <laughs> nice <laughs> That reminds me, have you guys seen um, Indie Game, the movie? I have seen that, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's that's the one where they concentrate on, or for the most part, they look at the guy who developed Fez, and then they also look at the uh, the team, or the two guys that developed um, Super Meat Boy, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I watched yep. that recently, and that was, that was really cool, because definitely a lot of that um, spoke to me and you know mirrored some of my own experiences with self-publishing and just doing your own thing yeah, and yeah and uh it was a, it's definitely worth checking out for those who haven't seen it yeah i would say at this point i've made more money off of um which html color are you.com than i have made off of um than i have made off of my um typey typey app that's on the app store um well, and that's, that's yeah like objectively it's it, it's probably the other way around but um like chris was saying apple hasn't gotten around to cutting me a check yet which i think the way that the the way that the developer program works once i get to like the end of the year they have to close me out like fiscal year here's your check of what you made this year um but i haven't made enough on that one app for them to justify cutting me a check yet um Whereas which HTML color are you dot com, I have a little link um, down in the bottom for um, Square Cash, and it's it, it's just like, hey, do you like this? Did you get any entertainment out of it? Give me a um, you know, give me a buck, give me a dollar through Square through Square Cash, and you can um, if you want to give me more than that, you can change the change the amount in the subject line of your email. Um, 
but yeah, and I and I've actually had people join on that, which is it's kind of a cool thing that Square did, where it's like all I need to do is put together a mail to link. I don't even need to go to PayPal and make a custom button, which I have on my blog as well, like a little you know tip jar kind of button. But uh, um, it's pretty. It, it's tough, it, it, but I but I think like you said being honest and upfront with people and saying, Hey, I made this for you to have fun with. If you like it, you can kind of sponsor me directly just by, you know, contributing here. Um, or like you said, (laughs) click an ad if you think it's interesting, you know what I mean? Well, the Google terms of service explicitly say, do not, Well, you, you shouldn't say, you know, go click an ad, but that's (laughs) like, like you said, that's a way, that's a way you as an indie can help sponsor other people that, you know, are kind of, that's how they're making their living. And, and if you find the ad interesting, um, clicking it, you know, is an honest way to help somebody. There was one website I was, I think it was questionablecontent.com, the web comic. And he had, there was an ad, Google ad for like, I don't know, a corset website or something like, oh, sure, whatever. <laughs> and and then, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm still looking at corsets on, the, on their website. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. The power of targeted advertising. Yeah, hey, hey, it works. Um, <laughs> so like, uh, so I mentioned I do affiliate stuff and uh, I'm yeah. part of the Amazon affiliate program, which... That's one of those things. If you if you put the time and energy into it, you can make decent money. At like I think I've made so far this month like fifty bucks so far, and uh, okay. which I mean, in the grand scheme of things, isn't a lot. But I made like you know ten bucks a couple months ago. So it's it's I had a month where I took in like fourteen dollars from or twelve dollars from Google ads, and my wife was like. You know, that's, you know, Sarkaska, that's, you know, good job. I'm like, oh, hey, that was like three times what I took in the month before. You know, you got to look <laughs> yeah. at it in the, right. that, that kind of perspective. Um, and the good thing about the Amazon thing, too, is um, I think their threshold is like around $20, give or t- It might be less than that. I can't remember. But it just, that doesn't go to PayPal. That goes right to my, um, like, online savings account. So not the pay- PayPal's, you know, gotcha fee or anything like that which is nice and uh it's it's an easy thing to do because you just go to amazon you find a link you get the code and you link to whatever and um it's uh it's handy and uh it means i don't have to worry about some other ad stuff so much and i can also write about some of the crazy things i find on amazon which in turn helps get me traffic and you wouldn't believe the stuff people buy through my site <laughs> like I, I had a blog post where i was making fun of like these 300 dollars dog dog purses and someone bought two of them <laughs> i mean that's why i had a good month this month because someone bought yeah. two of those dog purses and it's just because i think people just a lot of times they, they Google whatever they're looking for and they find sure. a post about it or they find the photos of my blog post about it too. Sure. And um, they just click through to Amazon and, you know, pretty much once you, if you can get someone on Amazon, the chances of them buying something are usually pretty good and it doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be the thing you link to. So. Yeah, I used to when I was... Uh Working more, I used to go to, uh, there's a couple of websites uh, um, for 
video uh, like Cheesy Cam and uh, Olivia Tech, and both of those, uh, they review like products. Again, like I said, we should be doing uh, here on the show last <laughs> week, so we get free stuff. But uh, there you go. But then when they review it, they do the affiliate you know link right underneath it. Like, hey, here's this light kit right here on Amazon. So, yep. And I'm sure if, that must be what they're doing too. Yeah, I mean that's it's very easy for me to like. And the thing is, I don't even, I don't always have to even like even review stuff. I could just be make a cat like um, case in point. Tomorrow I have a. Um, <laughs> blog post about uh it's kind of a roundup of some of my thanksgiving humor posts like in a list because people like lists and it's always good to uh remind people of stuff you wrote a year or so ago and uh my opening paragraph is something that's like um it's you know it's finally here not my old jedi master but uh, thanksgiving and i have a line about there's some joke about lightsaber duels but you know i made lightsaber a link to these super fancy $150 lightsabers you can get on <laughs> thinkgeek.com. Now, if someone actually buys those, I don't know, but you never know. It's just one of those things. But I'm not necessarily talking about that product, but I'm just you know linking to something relevant, and uh, I at least know where the link's going to. Because there's some other advertisers you can join that they'll automatically add links to your posts that'll like link to search results or some other things, but I'm just... Oh, sure. I'm iffy about that because I don't always. I, I like knowing what my site's linking to, right? Um, when it comes to that sort of thing, so I, I think when there's text links in a post, there's a little bit more of a, I guess for lack of a better term, trust factor there. Yeah, yeah. It's so. sort of that difference between um, you know when you look at when you look at the Google search pra- search page now and the the difference between the sponsored links that are actually the AdWords links versus the um, versus the true search results. Right. It, it always feels like they're getting blurrier and blurrier. Um, but it's good when you go to uh, when you go to somebody's site and you see you know okay here's the sponsored links they're in this box over here. And then here's the post and the content that this person is publishing, and it's good to know that they have control over that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And some of those sites, they'll like the links they'll add will be like double underlined. But then I'm like, oh, yeah, how's yeah. that? Can, I mean, that's okay. But then I just worry about that looking, you know, bad and that sort of thing. So I love. Um, I, honestly, it feels like a lot of the newspapers and uh, magazines do it, but. I love when I'm like reading an article like like you said you, you do a lot of skimming on the internet so then when you're actually reading an article and in between like you're reading an article about uh the latest like Android update and in between this paragraph and the next one there's like a picture of a turtle eating a cupcake and you're like what the <laughs> hell is that and it's it's an ad right but it totally yeah, messes I, up the article you're reading it has no yeah. nothing I, I just i really hate it when they do like the big inline i ads. try not to do that sort of stuff um because it's it's easy to do that sort of thing you can get plugins do that sort of stuff and whatnot but i um uh I try not. To, I, I experimented somewhat with putting stuff in the middle, but but, but it'd be ads that like I would pick. But then at the end of it, I was like, eh, I don't like this. I don't want to scare people away and that sort of thing. So I find my ad things tend to work better when I just leave them alone. And 
which I'm sure my wife is happy to hear because she likes to tease me <laughs> that I'm always messing with my websites, which is true. <laughs> I am. But, um, uh, and it's, I mean, it is true. If you just kind of, because everything I've read about Google ads and affiliate stuff, like it's, it's not going to be overnight rich. You know, it's, you have to like set stuff up and just kind of let it percolate, I guess. Yep. And, and, yep. uh, you know, um, I finally, like, I've been a part of Commission Junction. They're kind of a, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, a broker, I guess, for lack of a better term, or agency for commission affiliate programs um, for three different websites, so like ThinkGeek and Audible and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm signed up for their programs, but I've been, excuse me, I've been an affiliate for ThinkGeek for like, since June, I think. And I just finally had a sale this month. I've had clicks, you know, I've had tons and tons of clicks to the point where I was concerned that like I was doing something wrong. Mm, But then this, this, uh, like last week, I finally had someone bought a couple Doctor Who shirts that I linked to on ThinkGeek. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just, you know, leave it alone and see how it goes. And uh, because I just I think I got spoiled from the Amazon stuff because, again, I think people are just they're more comfortable with Amazon. So they'll just, you know, they're more likely to buy stuff through there than sites they're not as familiar with. And uh, I just got used to that, you know, working right away. Like, I think my first month as an Amazon affiliate, I at least made like a few dollars. Um, But with Commission Junction, it was like almost like six months or something before I finally saw any money. But uh, everything I've read has said you pretty much just got to put the work in and just keep building links and then eventually you'll start getting it. Yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, someone that I follow recently posted something scathing about Amazon and then like their very next post was Amazon is the Walmart of the internet and I was like <laughs> wow I, it really hit me when you said you get like 24 cents if you sell your book I'm like wow I guess they are right, yeah it's pretty crazy yeah. well I think to be fair ish I think that is actually more closer to how like an author would get paid via a um, traditional publisher so that that is because the beauty of me going to conventions and meeting other authors like John Scalzi and uh, and whatnot, you know, I get to hear their side of it. And um, what usually happens is, usually in quotation marks, you know, everything's different. But um, say, say I get signed to a book deal and they pay me in advance. Say the advance is... $20,000 just to throw out a number. That's all I'm going to get until the um, the sales of my book um, uh, equal that. So um, the, the phrase is um, paid out. So say my book sold enough copies where I had made back my advance. And then after that, I would get the royalties. So, And I think the royalties you get for book books are... Like you're not getting if a book sells for like six bucks, you know, as a paperback, you're not getting five of those dollars. You're, you're right, maybe right. you probably are getting like twenty cents or something. But it's a matter of volume. If you sell a thousand paperbacks in a year times twenty cents, you know sure. that adds up. 
it's it's just one of those things. So, and if you're you know if you're Stephen King and you have a giant back catalog, right. even if you're getting five cents per novel, you're you're still making a ton of money because you have so many novels and so many people know you. You know, right? It's, a, it's an audience building game at some point, right? And I mean that's why you know R.L. Stein and guys like him, you know, they all those goosebump books they cranked out like a new goosebump book you know it seemed like they're publishing yeah. one like every week because yeah. they're short <laughs> and you know but kids would buy i mean sh- hell uh i think we had about 20 of those books you know and even if they're sure. five bucks each you know if, if we're one family and you know it's just it's a matter of volume so uh, i guess to get back to the whole amazon's walmart thing i mean yeah i get 20 cents or whatever a book but that's not that different than someone buying it through a regular store or sure but sure. i mean i i definitely get that comparison with yeah. the amazon as walmart but the thing is if i shop on amazon i don't have to deal with other amazon shoppers <laughs> like i would have to at walmart so, so true there's no people of amazon blog right yeah so there is that advantage no, I'm an and, Amazon junkie, but uh, so, yeah, yeah. Well, I was before yeah. I moved here, but <laughs> oh come on, man, Amazon.ca, Amazon Amazon.ca. I did a blog post on that. It's uh, it's pretty yep. atrocious. So oh bummer. Yeah, it's not exactly at all the same. So we we can't get half the goods you guys get. It's uh, a lot of it is the shipping thing, right? Like it's just tough to get people to ship stuff in Canada. It we yeah it's shipping and then I I think um, there's I don't I still haven't I have yet to find someone who can tell me why but um, uh, a few of my blog posts on Canada have touched on it that uh, Canadians like follow through with their insane patriotism while Americans are apathetic so <laughs> um, <laughs> like the Canadians like don't want your business here they want a Canadian business here and Americans always talk like that and then they shop at Walmart and buy the clothes from China right so right. exactly um, but the Canadians don't do that and uh, it's really interesting even even the blatant American companies here like uh, let's say McDonald's um, you know the uh, apostrophe like <laughs> after the d and before the s is not an apostrophe here it's a canadian maple leaf right they're like look we're canadian <laughs> like right. they, they pander to it so yeah um so what it comes down to is they they don't want the sales here and so it, it's just really i mean obviously there's not probably a lot of electronics manufacturing happening here but sure. uh so they have to import some of that stuff, but even that stuff, they don't import as much of it. It's really interesting to me. Like, um, I could probably look on Amazon.ca and find like, I don't know, 120 Dell laptops, and I could go to Amazon.com <laughs> and find 5,030 Dell laptops. It's really strange. There's something about their trade agreements here where they're just like, yeah, so. That's been Interesting. my experience so far. It's just uh, they they really focus on Canadian goods and they they want to do that. And and to your point, uh, shipping is, uh, I mean, I, I I always forget the number, but it's this country is so enormous and just like the United States, but it's like oh yeah, not it's even, huge. It, it's not even like maybe a third of the population of the United States. It's 
there's a small number of a market here. I mean, I think all of Canada, the joke is like all of Canada could like the population could fit like in the state of New York. So <laughs> I, I think there's slightly more people than that, but it's still, that's, sure. that's the point. It's like, well, um, I think the, the example I used in one of my blog posts was like when I was looking for a mobile phone here and I was looking at the coverage maps and I was like, okay, this company sucks. Next company this company sucks. There's hardly any coverage in this country. Next gun. And then I started to realize after looking at three of these like coverage maps, oh, they're all the same, just like in the States. And that's because that's where all the population is. <laughs> so there's a vast amount of wilderness here that is untouched by man. So why do we need a cell phone tower there? So it's it's just a small population, and I think uh, it, it really hurts. So I make the joke about the iPhone 3S uh, and that we are probably going to get to see like the first episode of MASH tomorrow night. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is they, <laughs> we just don't have the market here, so companies aren't going to like – uh, you know, they'd rather conquer India or something to get the numbers. Yeah. That's, so it's all sure. about the numbers. Yeah. Again, right back to the point where we're like, we have to start uh, uh, recognizing individuals and paying people what the, uh, they deserve rather than the numbers. The numbers. That's right. So, uh, speaking of, uh, or no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, speaking of Canada, you had said on Twitter that you went to the Epcot uh part of the canada part of epcot when you were at disney and uh i was like thinking like really is there one like it's not just oh yeah yeah it's it's rather expansive actually it's 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 a lot of fun um they uh trying to describe what they have there i mean they have it's like all the it's one of the bigger pavilions they have like a replica of some i think it might be the capitol building in ottawa i don't I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but um, they have a movie hosted by Martin Short. They uh, <laughs> have people dressed as Mounties. Um, you know, uh, we were in the gift shop there because each pavilion has a gift shop themed for their country. Um, and my favorite—I took a picture of this. It'll be in a blog post eventually. But um, they had, of course, uh, stuffed animal beavers and. Um, <laughs> they had also you could get uh leather bracelets with your name on them and so someone took a leather bracelet put justin on it and put it around the neck of one of the little beavers so it was justin beaver nice and uh which i appreciate because you know canadians have a good sense of humor and yeah. uh yeah so when we were at epcot their annual food and wine festival was going on and um actually canada has some of the best food of the whole festival their um cheddar cheese soup is really good and we had a little mini filet mignon thing from their fancy steakhouse they have there and that was really good too no poutine i can't that's what remember. i was gonna ask <laughs> i don't know if they did but uh they had moose drool beer Ooh, delicious or is it Moose Drool or is it Moose Head? I can't remember. Maybe Moose Head. I think Moose Drool is like Montana or something, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's Moose Head, whichever one is Canadian, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it's fun. I mean, Epcot is a lot of fun, especially when you're of drinking age because you can drink around <laughs> the world. But it it is just kind of neat to – I'm a fan of uh, theming is the term, like at the parks where you know, they just – they do their damnedest to uh, – 
uh, sorry, uh, do their damnedest to, uh, you know, replicate what they're, or it's not replicate, recreate the country or, or the fantasy place in some cases. And, uh, there's a lot of really good theming at Epcot. Have you, uh, have you ever read, um, uh, any, uh, Cory Doctorow books? No, but I um, I keep meaning to, but I read Boing Boing and I follow him on Twitter, so I'm aware of his uh, Escape from Tomorrowland book or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, the, and he's a big Disney geek, too. He totally is. Uh, the Book Makers was really good. I would suggest that yeah, one. There's yeah. some Disney in that. And then there's another one. I don't think it... Maybe it was Escape from Tomorrowland. There was one book where he literally... Uh, they were talking about redesigning a couple of the uh, rides at Disney, and there was this big back and forth, and it was really interesting. We, um, along those lines, we went on the uh, Keys of the Kingdom tour at the Magic Kingdom, which is like their five-hour behind-the-scenes walking tour of the park, and it was really, really cool. And um, so you got to hear about like how the how Disney World came to be. Like, you know, the, the issue with Disneyland in California was they never had the space. Um, <laughs> so Walt was looking for a new place to build, and uh, he decided on Florida because, like, the interstate was going in, you know, had good, decent yep. Yep. weather, that sort of thing. And they started buying up land because it was 180 bucks an acre. And um, um what ended up happening they tried to keep it secret as long as they could like they bought a right. plan under dummy companies and that sort of thing and they bought thousands and thousands of acres and then the story finally got out and so the price went up from 180 bucks an acre to like 60 to 80 thousand dollars an acre <laughs> yeah they told us that uh the the spot where epcot is which was the last section they bought cost more than all the other land put together wow like it's like over 20,000 something acres it's crazy and so we got to go behind the scenes of uh, like the back sides of the rides and that sort of thing I got to see like the reservoir where all the water for Splash Mountain gets pumped into and it takes a million gallons of water to run that ride and uh, we got to uh, go into their um because the park actually is built on top of a, a tunnel system. Yeah. So the tunnel system is actually ground level and the park's built on top of it. So we got to go underneath that and that was pretty cool. So it's a fun, if you ever get a chance to do it, it's definitely worth your time. It's pretty neat. Interesting. Yeah. That, um, down and out in the magic kingdom. That's the Cory Doctor. That's book it. I was thinking of. Yeah. That's it. Down on the magic kingdom. Sorry. It, it's really interesting just because it's not completely about the park. Um, it's sort of like this future where you can download your brain into different bodies. So everyone's like walking around there at three, 400 years old. And, and so <laughs> it becomes a, like a story about, uh, you know, when is enough enough too. So, because the rides they're like oh no we don't want to touch like the haunted mansion it's like a staple but at the same time no one goes there anymore so let's sure, redesign right. it and then at the same time there you have these characters going through this sort of crisis of like maybe i don't need to live forever you know so it's interesting that's neat it's it's really fascinating how attached people get to stuff how people get attached to things rather at the parks um and 
you know, over the years. And then there comes times where they have to update stuff because it's just, it's safer or whatever, or it's more efficient, that sort of thing. Sure. And then, um, it's just pretty neat how, uh, they address that, but then a ride could be like 10 times better, but the be people who just like lose their shit because, um, it's not the way it was back in 1982 right, when they came right. as a 12 year old kid or something. It's just, it's pretty neat. But, um, but I mean, I don't mind the changes in some cases. Although I'm still bummed they got rid of the twenty thousand leagues under the sea ride, even <laughs> though it was pretty cheesy. But I'm still kind of bummed that's gone. Weren't they? Didn't they do an overhaul on Space Mountain fairly recently? Wasn't that the like the most recent? Yeah, they updated the queue. Uh, that's waiting in line area for those at home. Um, <laughs> I understood. I'm Canadian. The queue. Yep. Good. Uh, they updated the queue area on that a few years ago. Yeah, like I think in the past, it was redone when I was there th- three years ago. So okay, within the past three four years, I guess, and that's way more updated. And they have like video games you can play and that sort of thing. So that's really cool. And um, I think they updated Pirates. They they up, they've updated Big Thunder Mountain since the last time I was there. And like the queue area there is way neater. It's got more story telling to it which is always fun yeah there's uh what's the other one that i'm thinking of there's the um the like world of tomorrow it's not really a it's not really a ride but it's like you know this kind of demonstration of um you know walt disney's vision of the integrated home future kind of thing and you you get to see and there's lots of like animatronics and stuff and i yeah I thought I remembered reading something about they were going to update that, and I don't know if they decided to or not, or if they thought that, like, the fact that it was sort of kitschy 50s futurism um, meant that it should just stay. <laughs> well, I mean, there is something to be said for that, because it's fun to look back at, oh, this is what they thought it'd be like in, you know, 1950. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think in some cases it is good to kind of preserve that, because, um, you know their idea of the future might be more entertaining than our idea of the future, you know? Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but, uh, just sure. because of that kitsch factor and camp factor, it's just, it, you know, it might be more enjoyable to sit through than, you know, what we might think the future from now, 50 years from now might actually hold more drone warfare, that sort of thing. But, uh, <laughs> well, right. Exactly. Yeah. What's interesting. Ours would be a much more negative vision of the future. I probably I have a feeling. Probably. Well, what's what's crazy is uh, I I I'm broken record here talking about uh, Cory Doctorow, but the other book makers, um, the park connection there is because people start going to this like homemade um, theme park instead of Disneyland, so then they send executives to check it out. Um, and this home homemade like theme park, it uh, in the book, it's. Basically, it's just like Cory Doctorow's book about like the awesomeness of 3D printing. And so there's these guys that build these printers that can print anything. And what happens eventually is they set up like this old, like, uh, I don't know, Kmart or some big retail space with some 3D printers. And so you have this collaborative space where people are using their printers through internet connections to like print objects that they have in their house that mean something to them. Like you were just saying, like people get kind of crazy nostalgic and 
we were thinking about like the weirdness of like what the people thought the future would be like in the 50s so then (laughs) these people like send these things in and then they have like these sort of silly robots that then put them all together in like areas and and so then people go through the ride in like these uh wheelchairs that were uh made for people with illness that are like automated but the company went under so they bought them all out and they programmed them to go around the ride and so basically the ride is just this like nostalgia like look at all these cool lunch boxes that aren't really there because they're just printed on a 3d printer but Hmm. anyway it's just really interesting you guys are both talking about uh, nostalgia and things like that i'm like wow that's like kind of where that book was going and and everyone was going to this ride because people seek that stuff out, you know. So, well, my I had a kind of nostalgia thing this recent trip because when um, I went for the first time as an adult three years ago, uh, I enjoyed the campy, cheesy um, original Enchanted Tiki Room. That when I went there, as like a teenager because it thought it was fun. You know, it's a bunch of talking birds and then when i went three years ago it was totally different like they it was a uh, zazu from lion king and mm. uh liago the parrot from aladdin and it was terrible it was like totally stupid and cheesy and not cheesy in a good way but like really like let's modernize it let's you know reference modern pop culture and i'm like oh god this is terrible well they they had a fire in it a couple years ago like not long after we were there and they had to totally they decided to redo the tiki room and put it back the way it was so when we went back this hmm. time i got to see how i did when i was like you know 12 13 and that for the first time and that was pretty cool yeah that is uh pretty sweet yeah i mean as weird as it is to be nostalgic for a room full of talking bird robots but still it was just it was something i was amused by as a, as a kid and just like i think the change was so drastic the last time i went i was like this i can't believe they did this, this is awful actually yeah. uh chris's buddy Corey has written at length before about how terrible the change was um that's actually how i found out about the fire was on boing boing <laughs> yeah um I don't know. I mean, I love Gilbert Godfrey. I can't see what would be wrong with that. <laughs> that was actually one of my biggest uh, criticisms of Aladdin when it came out, uh, because uh, while you guys were young guys, I was probably like 30 when it came out. So, uh, <laughs> But it was it was too, like, pop culture. Like, I was like, no one's going to get these jokes in, like, 10 years. Like, that Robin Williams Yeah, like does. when Genie turns into Arsenio Hall and starts yeah. you know, yeah. booting yeah. and stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. No one's going to get that. Like, it was perhaps the most Shrekish of the Disney movies, you know, in that sense, because yeah. it had a lot of pop culture references to it. But then again, when you have Robin Williams as one of the main <laughs> voices, and right. that's kind of his thing you know that's just kind of to be expected so that's true like there's nothing worse than watching like a um robin williams comedy where they tell him to stick to the script right because then he's not being himself so but yeah back to gilbert godfrey one of my favorite gilbert godfrey stories (laughs) is uh it was a number of years ago i don't know when but uh he was actually a presenter on the emmys or the oscars probably the emmys 
and uh, I think he was doing a lot on one of the you know late night shows, and uh, he was a presenter on the Emmys, and he actually they either filmed a pilot or um, he had just signed a contract to do a pilot for his own show, and uh, I do remember watching like what was that USA Up all night with him and things like that. He was pretty funny, but yep. uh, but when he was doing um, the Emmys. Uh, before he did his presentation, he did like a short stand-up routine. And at some point in the stand-up routine, I don't even know how he got there, but that's the beauty of comedy. He started talking about <laughs> masturbation. Oh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was going to tell the same story. Nice. Yeah. And I don't remember all the jokes. I just remember him saying, you know, the police coming to the house and they're like, look out for his right hand, you know, because he's like some kind of muscular <laughs> freak because that's all he does. And and basically he just like lost like his pilot after that because, you know, this what is- what I I remember this interview with him. This was on like, I don't know. Bob and Tom or something many, many years ago. And uh, he said something. uh, um, The joke he told in the interview was like he was talking about P.B. Herman being arrested. And he says, like, if masturbation is a crime, I should be on death row. That's right. And and, um, he said like that was what freaked everyone out and got him in trouble or or one of the things. (laughs) I mean, it could have been a whole bit. But I just remember, I always remember that joke. It was pretty funny. Yeah, that's what it was. I think he, yeah, he was like saying I should be, you know, if it's a crime, I should be on death row. They should like come to my house and arrest me. And they're like trying to right, arrest me. Right. And they're like, look out for his right hand. Like, and yeah, it's, yeah, nice. But that's just kind of funny. Like they were that sensitive that they, yeah, I, you'd have to wonder if that would happen today, you know? Well, um, well I mean, they had Seth MacFarlane host the Oscars. So. Right. Right, and at one point he had a Gustavo Nazi come out of a, a door, and I mean, granted, it was tying into Sound of Music, but still, sure. Um, I think at one point before that, I said, "What's he going to do next? Bring out like a Nazi and do a song about Jews?" And uh, he kind of did. So, it was just like, <laughs> oh boy, yeah, that was an awkward Oscar year. It was. Although I feel like the Ricky Gerv- didn't Ricky Gervais do that for two years in a row? I th- or was that the... I think he did the Golden Globes the and then Golden he did the Globes, Oscars and then like he got ran out of town on a rail pretty much. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, the Oscars are just so terrible. Oh, yeah. completely. Like, and I, uh, you know, I, I get the point as to why they're so long, because they have to sell all the ad time to, like, pay for the damn thing. But it's just, like, so ridiculous. Well, so terrible. I, as I've gotten older and even more pessimistic, too, like, I've noticed, like, I used to be in the Oscars. Let's have an Oscar party, that kind of a thing. But, um... it's probably just me getting old, but it seems like they're changing to the point as far as judging too. I mean, I know there's not a lot that has to go in to become a judge. It's uh, paying your dues, (laughs) but I mean, you used to see like things in the Oscar night and then go, wow, I never heard of that because I live in a tiny town in Michigan. I'm going to go try to seek that out and see it. And now it's like the Oscars are like, Hey, Avengers two is getting like the Oscar for best script writing. And you're like, what? 
Like, <laughs> I don't care if you like Marvel or not. Like, uh, let's talk yeah. about something like an independent filmmaker did that wasn't like the same old thing over and over again. But well, what I kind of hate is um, not hate. Hate's a strong word, but what I kind of have issues with sometimes is the whole best animated feature oscar because pretty much any animated film is nominated and it's which is right. unfortunate right because that includes like some of the stupid dreamworks sequels and and whatever and they you know in the years past uh, the animation stuff was way more regulated like it had to be really really you know fantastic stuff nowadays it doesn't really matter like you can have kung fu panda 2 nominated for best animated feature (laughs) and uh, it's like well what's the point yeah that does hurt a little bit (laughs) it's unfortunate speaking of uh good movies uh have either of you seen the spanish film uh time crimes no I have not seen this. Uh, I remember, I think I heard about it on NPR back uh, probably when it came out, which was like 2007. And uh, it, it, I believe it's on Netflix now. I think I watched it last month, so it may have disappeared. But uh, <clears throat> it sounded interesting, and it's a Spanish film. And I was like, oh, foreign films are always fun because you, you don't uh, – things are different in other countries so they don't often follow yeah. the same formulas and i yep. i couldn't sleep one night so the wife went to bed and i watched it and it's really good i mean this is a a low budget film so it's not like scary low budget but it's a, not uh terminator 2 you're not going to see like balls of light and things like that <laughs> which makes like you have to depend on the actors and the script and it, it was very good it's uh, basically about a a guy who lives in like uh, a rural area and near him is some sort of facility but he's sitting in the backyard hanging out and he's got binoculars to kind of like spy on the neighbors and things because he's far away from everyone and all of a sudden he sees like an attractive girl and she's taking off her clothes and he oh this is interesting his wife's not around he's going to keep watching and then like something scary happens to her and he's like wondering what's going on so he takes a walk out into the woods and um finds the girl and tries to help her and then they're being chased by someone and he goes to that facility and he sees like these weird hand-drawn signs like like they look like they've just been put up and so he sort of follows them and he finds a walkie-talkie finds this person in the facility and the guy says hide in here um, if you're being chased and the hide in here is a time machine. So he goes back like a half hour in time and he comes out and then he decides he wants to see who was chasing him. And so he just keeps doing this loop of like four of him. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it's cleverly done. And I mean, that's, like I said, that's all it is. It's like a, a loop and it's very cleverly done. Um, so it's not like special effects or like an action film. It's it's good. I recommend it. Time Crimes. Cool. Yeah, I just uh, Googled it. It sounds pretty neat. I'll have to check it out. Now I'm trying to remember the um, highly complicated time travel um, movie that I watched a couple of months ago. Um, there's actually an XKCD comic about it. 
um, because it compares um, timelines of main characters in time travel movies. And there's like five different time travel movies like Back to the Future and things like that where it shows you sort of the loops that the characters go through and like when there's more than one of this character where. Um, and then there's finally this uh, this last time travel movie. Uh, which has a really simple name that I cannot come up with for some reason. It's something like Portal, but that's not it. Um, Primer? Primer. Oh, yeah. That's exactly it. Um, Which takes, just in and of itself, I feel like it takes a couple watchings because the pacing is very strange at first, and then all of a sudden it speeds up like exponentially, and there's, if you can keep track of all of the timelines your first time around, then... um, you're you're actually probably God at that point. So um, it's a pretty, I think it's a fun watch from a, like what would happen if um, you could invent such a time machine and what would you do with it kind of a thing? Who would you share that knowledge with? And like, would you teach them how to make one too? That kind of thing. Yeah, that, uh, I remember that movie. I always thought I would want to watch it again, but uh, I never have. But I remember it being fairly confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that director just uh, had his like second movie come out. Um, I can't remember what it's called, unfortunately. But it's also it's called Upstream Color. That's what it's called, and it's also on Netflix right now. <clears throat> I have yet to watch it. It seemed very cerebral, and so I have to be in the right mood. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, the I thought you were kind of searching for because I was trying to think of lesser known um, time travel movies, but I thought you might be searching for frequently asked questions about time travel, which I think mm. it's a it's a British movie, I believe, and I I don't know if it went straight to video here or what, but uh, I do believe it like had and. Anna Ferris in it or something like that. <laughs> but I do remember enjoying it. It was kind of making fun of the genre. And of course, because saw, it's... A, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, of um, course, because it's a UK movie, it all takes place in pubs. So <laughs> There was one I watched recently, um, Safety Not Guaranteed. Yes. It's about a guy building a time machine and the whole... Th- Throughout the whole thing, you don't know if he's just crazy or or whatever. It's actually it's a fun little movie. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I think the director that the director that guy, the guy who directed it, I think he was on the short list of possible Star Wars directors at one point. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He could still be on that list. Yeah. Post post JJ. That's true. Well, fellas, I might have to cash in here soon. Yes, it's very late. It is for you guys. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> How many hours behind us are you, Chris? I am two hours behind. Okay. But uh, my brain has yet to realize that after two years. So I usually like wake up at <laughs> six in the morning every day. Fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we will have to uh, have you back at some point, um, if for no other reason than to actually get a chance to talk about um, Doctor Who, um, <laughs> among other things. Or red shirts. Or red shirts. Yeah, so both, 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 both things are fine. would be good Just, topics. Uh, 
give me a heads up. This was fun. I'll do it again. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for awesome. coming on. My pleasure. Do you want me to sign off or anything or Yeah, we haven't whatever. done we haven't done the handle sign off in a long time. We should probably do that. No, we ha- actually I don't think we've done true handle sign off in the entire run of Montreal sauce even though we managed to do it on every single I like juice. <laughs> I think we did it on the first one, or did we laugh through oh, did it too we? much? Maybe, no, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, you know, go ahead and uh, sign yourself off. Uh, however, you want to tell the nice folks uh, that listen, okay. all seven um, of them. <laughs> that's all right. Seven's better than zero. That's right. Uh, this is Daniel J Hogan. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel J Hogan, and. Uh, that's also my website, and you can read my comics and other rambling on clattertron.com. So uh, thanks, guys. It was uh, fun to be here. It's good to have you. Yeah, awesome. Cool, thanks. I feel like we're on that uh, that cooking show that Saturday Night Live used to make fun of. The one that's not Rachel Ray. Right? No. That's the first first cooking show that came to mind. The early one that Saturday Night Live used to make fun of. Uh, on, <laughs> Julia Child? On NPR. The NPR one oh, where they talk NPR. softly. Uh, and yeah, right, right, right. Alec Baldwin was on there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Being all polite, like saying things. So I felt like that. Bloop. All right. Cool. Yeah, sweet. All right, so you're going to, I am at Sick Days, uh, and Dan is signing off, I just noticed. Um, And that is uh, S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S on Twitter, and you can also find uh, my musings on sickdays.com. That's me. Sweet. I'm I'm Paul DeLue, uh, at Paul D (laughs) on Twitter, and app.net, and... um, cupcake um that io and uh you can also find me at padizio.com p-a-d-i-z-i-o and if you're in my area code you can also dial that on your phone if you want to call me um nope i probably won't answer if, unless i know your number already but you can you can dial that if you want no kidding you'll find out if you're in my yeah padizio p-a-d-i-z-i-o if you dial that on your phone and you're in I guess if you're in my area code or, yeah, if your phone is, like, local to my phone, however that works, um, you will get you will get me. That's my cell phone. Wow. that's How crazy is that? That's, uh, that's pretty cool. I'm excited by that. I actually, I thought I was the only nerd. That's pretty cool. <laughs> my, my Google number is, uh, if you are in my area code, my Google number ends up being, uh, like, uh, 335 sick. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did that on purpose. And then, uh, when it, nice. when it came to like, uh, resumes and business cards and stuff, I, uh, shied away from actually using it. <laughs> I, shied away from I was like, Oh, it yeah. seems sort of egotistical. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, what I did was I put in, um, there's some, there's some website I'll look it up for the, and stick it in the show notes, but there's a website where you can like put, punch in your phone number and it will tell you all of the possible letter combinations. Um, so I did that with my cell phone, and uh, um, the Padizio was on the list, and it wasn't even that far down the list, I guess. But um, but after I did that, I was like, oh, that's 
kind of cool. So I went and bought the domain name and then I didn't do anything with it for like a year or two. And then eventually that's where I ended up putting my blog when I took it off of uh, blogger. So fun. Nice. Okay. That makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sweet. Uh, Do you have a chirp? I was just, yeah, I, that's why I was mumbling because I was like, Oh, (laughs) that makes, I need a chirp to me. So I was like, uh, I better get that done. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And uh, I was just filling it out, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's the iconic mix. All right, here comes the chirpness for those of you with chirp. Oh, he's making noises. Yeah, I'm going to. I wonder if my phone. If I can. There we go. Load up. (laughs) I can't see you because of uh, the. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. Uh, okay. Here we go. There's the app. All right, go for it. All right, you can just try. Boop, boop, I heard yours. All right. Yeah. Sweet. I was all ready this time. Oh, it's a Vimeo. Yeah, changing it up. There we go. Nice. All right. Cool. I just thought of it. Cool. Like last minute, but hey, that's par for the course. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that works. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Paul for editing and our producer, imaginary producer, Jim. Yep. Our imaginary <laughs> producer, Jim. He got me some coffee halfway through. It was good. <laughs> and uh, enjoy your evening or day yeah. if you're listening or afternoon or whatever. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Later. See ya. Bye.